An honorable profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit t4a.org. That's t, the number four, a.org. We're also supported by opencounter.com. OpenCounter builds tools for local governments that deliver permits and licenses online. Their portals make complex permitting simple, which lowers transaction costs, increases transparency, and empowers economic development. OpenCounter is a vital tool for communities big and small across the nation, including Atlanta, Charlotte, Oakland, Indianapolis, and San Diego. Check out opencounter.com to see what they can do for your community. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. I've been lucky enough to be a member of New Deal for years, both when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now as chair of the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. Check out some of our past episodes with guests like Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Lincoln, Nebraska Mayor Learing Gaylor Baird, and more than a dozen amazing leaders at the state and local level. You can find us at newdealleaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. And do me a favor. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends. We're trying to bring sanity to politics in an insane era. We need all the help we can get. Today, I'm talking to Florida State Representative Margaret Good. Fired up by the 2016 election, she left her comfortable life working as an attorney to run for office for the first time in a district that Trump won by four points. She worked hard and she was elected. The day she was sworn in, news of the massacre at Stoneman Douglas High School hit the floor. She immediately and bravely advocated for sensible gun control legislation. She talks about that first race, her passion for the environment and education, and what Democrats need to know about winning in Trump country. She's a leader to be inspired by and to learn from. We're lucky to have her. State Representative Margaret Good, thank you for joining us on An Honorable Profession. It's great to talk with you today. Thank you so much for having me. So you you are unique in that you flipped a Trump district to be elected to the state legislature. So you are sort of in, in ground zero of a swing state. Talk to me about your decision to enter politics and then, you know, sort of what, what the first steps you took were to, to see if you can make this an honorable profession. Sure. Back in 2016, 2017, I was a lawyer working for a really wonderful, um, well-established, well-respected law firm in Sarasota and really enjoying my job. Um, And then after the 2016 elections, I felt really empowered. Sometimes I think about it as a Trump backlash, but when I really think about it, I think about Hillary Clinton and this was the first time in my life that I bought campaign merchandise. I bought highball glasses from the glass ceiling and a notebook that said Madam President and just felt really inspired to see a strong woman um, running for president and, and being really successful at it. And so after the 2016 ele- election, me and my girlfriends got together and we formed a little group to talk about 
what it was that we should be doing to make sure that our democracy still lives, to make sure that our community is still kind. And everybody did different things. Um, one woman got involved in International Women's Forum. Another woman uh, started volunteering for Guardian Ad Litem. And I started getting more interested in specific, specifically what was happening in the Florida State Legislature. It was about that time, it was the end of the legislative session, and I saw what was happening with um, our environmental protections and specifically what was happening with public education on a different front. Uh, and was really worried about the dismantling of our public education system and this systematic move to privatization that we're seeing in Florida and across the country in a lot of places and felt like I should get more involved. Um, and then a really great opportunity came. I, I live, as you said, in a really Republican district. There's 52,000 Republicans, 40,000 Democrats, and 30,000 non-party voters. So when I had thought in the past maybe I would like to run for office, I looked at the numbers and looked at who was winning and felt like this probably couldn't happen for me living in Sarasota. But then there was a special election that came up. The woman that held the seat before me got fed up with the legislature and decided she did not want to finish her term. Um, and there was just a lot of energy around having really good representation. And so I decided to run and um, I had a primary uh, election first that was really hard and then a special election, and I ran against the son of our very popular Republican um, sitting congressman, who was also very wealthy. And so it was a very, uh, you know, Goliath type of uh, Goliath type of campaign. But we had just so much grassroots support and so many people really from across the country that care about having good representation that wanted to be part of this special election. And, um, and we ended up flipping this district that Trump had won by four and a half points and winning that special election by seven and a half points. Which is, it was, a, it was one of those things that if you're sort of interested in politics, we were, you were watching your election and it was really inspiring. But I mean, going from sitting in a law office to running in a contested seat against a wealthy, well-connected opponent uh, is no small task. How did, you, how did you sort of go from zero to 100 uh, in such a short period of time? And was it, was it what you expected or was it, um, yeah, I mean, it, it couldn't have been what you expected because <laughs> it couldn't be what anyone expects, but, uh, but it must have been remarkable. Tell me about that journey. I was terrified when I was thinking about it. I decided fairly quickly because the special, it was the end of August when the um, woman that held the seat before me resigned and the special election was in February. So it was a fairly short time frame, and when I started getting interested in politics and, and Florida politics, one of my friends was running for city commission. Um, and he, I helped him a little bit. I helped raise some money for him and just watched him be successful running a campaign, but very much from the outside. And But after that, when, I, when he called me and said, I think you should run for the seat, I thought, well, you know, 
if Hagen can do it <laughs> in city commission, like I should be able to do this too. Like I watched him do it. And so that was my impetus for feeling like I was like I could do it as I'd seen somebody else and sort of help somebody else do it. Um, but I was really scared and knew about the things that I cared about, but had not been involved in democratic politics in the same way with messaging and I'm, you know, all sorts of guffaws. Is that the yeah. is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> all sorts of things that. I probably shouldn't have said those first couple of weeks of the campaign really trying to figure out how to talk about the things that I care about. My dad was an Episcopal priest and my mom was a nurse. We did not talk about politics at home at all. And so I considered myself to be very reserved. I had strong feelings, but did, had never really talked about them. So it took me a while to find my voice. And talk about that. I mean, I think... It's certainly an experience that all candidates have, which is that fear and finding your voice. I think it's especially challenging for women candidates. Uh, and so tell me about how you overcame that fear and you know, what was that, what was those first couple of weeks like, those first fundraising calls, those first knocking on doors? So I, I say this to people a lot. When yeah, I was so scared to start running for office and to get involved with the campaign. And it felt like I was jumping off a cliff. And I was really afraid that there was, you know, that I was going to hit hard, <laughs> rock bottom. But instead, I had all of these people that really lifted me up and really helped me become a great candidate and now a really successful legislator. Um, and it's because you have this community around you that you don't even realize when you're starting out and I tell candidates that all the time or people that are thinking about running I say you know if, if you take the leap there will be people there to help you figure it out but the best thing for me was that I had a primary um, people often say oh you know you should try not to have a primary but it helped me really develop my voice and figure out what it was that I wanted to say to my community and and to figure out what was important to my community in a more insulated setting that makes sense so you get elected and you go to the Florida State House and the Florida State House is uh, not a place for timid folk uh, <laughs> and, the, and the issues are big and complicated talk about your experience um, in the house and you know some of the I know you I know you're working on healthcare I know you're working on clean water uh, what are you trying to do now that you're now that you're in the capital so so let's go back a little bit because this session has been a little bit different but I was elected on February 13th of 2018 um, we had run a crazy hard campaign just non-stop work and I was so tired and so excited and so the, our legislative session was we were in session and so I got up at five o'clock in the morning on February 14th and drove five hours to Tallahassee to get sworn in that day happy Valentine's Day yes happy Valentine's <laughs> Day I was really excited to be there and you know my caucus was really excited to have me it was going to be in my mind a great celebration and a great last three weeks of the legislative session um, so my mom and my husband came down on the floor with me I got sworn in and then I went back to my seat, and moments later, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting happened. And that really changed a lot about what I thought the last three weeks of session was going to be about. Um, 
I also didn't really have a plan to dig deep on legislation in those last three weeks, but I felt like it was so important to represent my community um, during that really tumultuous time in Florida politics and, and really in, in federal politics. Um, so I went back to my district the weekend after and held a town hall and listened to all of my constituents talk about gun violence and gun safety and gun ownership and the importance of gun ownership and the importance of gun safety um, and went back and filed an amendment onto the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act to require criminal background checks for every gun purchase, which is not something that we have in Florida currently. Um, and it unfortunately failed on party lines. I filed it again this session and it hasn't it didn't get a hearing. Um, but I think that having that conversation is so important, especially when you're in the minority party, to keep pushing on things that that Floridians really want. The the uh, polling shows that 96% of Floridians, right after the shooting, wanted background checks, and um, it's been high for a long time. I think back in 2013, something like 83% of Floridians were in favor of this policy. Um, so. I believe one of the most important things that I can do as a minority member of the Florida House is make sure that we are continuing those conversations, even if we're not getting the legislation through. And tell me, I mean, leading leading any time is hard. Leading when you're in a in a, a, a district that voted for uh, President Trump, and you obviously have very different policies, but leading in a time of trauma when people are afraid. Uh, is is challenging. How did you how did you reach out as a brand new leader to your community to say that you would be there and be a voice, and then that you you became a leader on this issue um, within days of days of this tragedy? I do a lot of listening. Um, I held the town hall right after the shooting happened. And then after the legislative session, I went back to the district and held six town halls, went to every Rotary Club meeting, every Kiwanis Club meeting, tried to find groups of people in places where they felt comfortable to talk about these issues and really tried to talk to not just my Democratic supporters, but also, um, you know, Republicans and non-party voters and people that agree with me and disagree with me. Um, I um, have gone to uh, my local gun shop and talked to the, the owner of that shop about the importance of the Second Amendment rights and how and how he sees it as a potential infringement and ways that we could maybe have background checks that would make him feel comfortable. And, you know, you can't make everybody happy, but I think having those conversations is so important. So I feel like in this time and place in our country, there's a sense that those conversations aren't happening. Um, how do you get past the noise and the automatic uh, setting one side against another to have those conversations uh, with people who, who may, you know, no matter what you do, may disagree with you fundamentally on this policy? You engage. When during the campaign, we didn't just knock on Democratic doors, especially in a district like mine, you have to reach out to everybody. You know, we talked to non-party voters, we talked to Republican voters, um, and 
I have worked really hard to build some alliances with my Republican colleagues on things that we care about. Um, my my senator is also the chair of the Republican Party of Florida, and so in some ways he's very partisan. But we had a big crisis, water crisis this summer with exacerbated red tide that lasted for a long, long time, and blue-green algae just it was a big problem just south of us. And so I called him and said, because I've been doing a lot of town halls, and I said, Joe, let's do a town hall together. And so the two of us stood up in front of a group of people, of our constituents, and listened. I, he, I said, this is, these are the rules. We are not going to say anything until the end. We are just going to listen to people's concerns. And um, I think that was really, it was a really powerful moment for us both, both to come together to talk about it. And it was also, I thought, really important to listen to our constituents without always having to have a comeback or a defense or a answer, because sometimes people just need to be listened to. And you need to sit with it a little while to figure out what the right answer is. There's, uh, that's, a, that's a great response. It's clear uh, that we're increasingly having less time in politics. And the idea that you sort of can just listen and sit with something for a while, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, and I hope, I hope it translates more often into all of our politics, but especially, you know, a swing state like Florida. So speaking of a swing state, um, you know, the Democratic Party hasn't done as well in Florida. We, there's a bunch of key races that sort of all of us nationally thought we were going to win. What's going on with how the party is communicating and are we getting better uh, at reaching out to people I mean certainly your election and your leadership is uh, it's been tremendous in your your part of the state what do we need to know for those of us that are outside of Florida about what's going on inside of Florida politically there are a lot of good things that are going on inside of Florida politically um, I think people look at losing our great Senator Bill Nelson and then losing the gubernatorial race and think nothing good happened in Florida. But in fact, that, that I would like to change that uh, narrative a little bit because um, we start out 2018, we have 120 seats in our state house. We started out 2018 with 40 seats. I was the 41st, broke the supermajority. And then we came back after the uh, 2018 election with 47 seats. So we increased our numbers in the Florida House. We increased our numbers in the Florida Senate by one, which is much closer. There's 17 members, 17 Democratic members out of 40 in the Florida Senate. Um, and we're doing a lot of that grassroots work to make sure that we have really good House candidates um, so that we increase our numbers even more coming into 2020. And we've got a lot of great partners. If you are outside of the state of Florida and are interested in Florida politics, get in touch with Sister District or Flippable or Swing Left or any of those great organizations that are helping those people in Florida that are really making the push to put Push us over the edge. So, are you seeing you're seeing those efforts? Because you know you you uh, you hear about all these efforts to organize in swing states, and you always wonder, you know, as as it goes, as the effort goes out, are we seeing a return? But from a swing state perspective, those efforts are making a big difference. It's key. The I, in both my special election and then in our 
2018 uh, midterm election, I don't think I could have done it without those partners that gave me the encouragement, gave me the funds. They called into the district. They sent postcards into the district and really energized the people that were working on the ground. Because sometimes when you're in a hard red area, you know, you've got your core grassroots volunteers that have been slogging away at it for years and years with very little success. And it is so encouraging to know that they have people outside of Florida that care and have their backs and are helping them create this momentum. So for the troves of Democratic candidates for president in 2020, as they look at coming into Sarasota and they want to win, your district, what do they need to be talking about that matters to to the people the people of Sarasota? Water water quality is such a huge issue. Um, we have talked so much about exacerbated red tide in Sarasota and in Florida, and about blue green algae, and there has not been a concerted effort at the state level to really do anything about it. This session, we put a lot of money towards water quality funding, but we did not pass any substantive legislation that deals with the root causes of the pollution um, or the nutrient loading. Um, We need to think about stormwater and wastewater. Um, And I think having those really policy discussions is important to people in Sarasota. I, you know, the people in my district are highly educated and really engaged and they want to have those kinds of discussions and I think public education is also key to voters in Florida and specifically on the southwest coast we in Sarasota County we have one of the best schools um, in the entire country Pine View school and we care a lot about public education and what's happening in Florida is really disconcerting, uh, to say the least, to a lot of us. Um, But I think it's keeping the issues local to what actually matters to people in their day-to-day lives. And Florida is obviously, as as you mentioned, is gonna be tremendously impacted by climate change. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and then as you mentioned, they're also, uh, they care passionately about education. Um, why hasn't the Democratic Party until your election uh, been able to capture these voters uh, on these issues um, when the other side has, you know, has, has virtually no response to these, to these issues that are pressing on people's lives? I'm not exactly sure, but we have been a Republican trifecta state for over 20 years. We've had a Republican governor, a Republican-led legislature, sometimes by a very, very large margin, and a Republican-led Senate. Um, and I think that that takes a toll on the party, and it makes it hard to for people like me to show up and run, because you think 
do we have the resources? Do we have the message? Do you know? Do we have the voters? And I think that people like Andrew Gillum have proven that we do have the voters and we do have the message and have given hope to a lot of people that Florida is actually a swing state despite the makeup of our of our legislature and and being having a Republican governor for so long. And I think it's also really important to note I, we haven't talked about this yet, but. 20, after 2020, we are going to be redistricting in Florida because one of the hardest things is the gerrymandering that's happened in Florida. If you if you think about where we are, um, you know Andrew Gillum lost by about 30,000 votes. Uh, there are actually more registered Democrats in Florida than Republicans. Yet our legislature is you know. 47 Democrats out of 120 and 17 um, Democratic senators out of 40. We have this huge divide between you know, the actual voters on the ground in Florida and what our legislative makeup looks like. And so it's so important that we make every effort to win as many seats as we can before 2020 so that we have a real seat at the table when we're talking about redistricting. Yeah, and are you looking at efforts? I mean, it's it's crazy that we're at this point where we're talking about like just fundamental efforts to protect our democracy uh, instead of before we can even talk about education or the environment or these other issues. Um, are you looking at reforms you can make to make it a just a fair level playing field and when we talk about how we how we make elections and who we elect to our offices? There's a lot of things that we could be doing but until we are closer to majority or in the majority in at least one chamber, there's not a lot that we can actually do. So that's why I I love thinking about policy and I spend a lot of time thinking about it and I tried my very best in the legislature to make sure bad policy doesn't go through or to really point out the bad parts about the policies that are, that are being um, passed, but without having the numbers, there's so so little that we can do. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about elections and campaigns and candidates and candidate recruitment. And what are you seeing in terms of people? Are there are there other Margaret Goods out there who are uh, scared, angry, uh, optimistic enough? Uh, to jump into races when they uh, as their first political experience, how's the recruitment coming? The recruitment is going really well. If there are people out there that think they might want to run for office, please get in touch with me, <laughs> and I will put you in touch with the right people. But I think that the 2018 elections were a real testament to these type of people. There's um, a woman named Cindy Polo, who was a stay-at-home mom with a master's degree in, I, I think, marketing or communication, just a really bright woman that has shown up on the Florida House floor, flipped a seat, and is holding people accountable in a real way. There's another woman um, named Ventress Driscoll that represents a part of Tampa that is a lawyer at Carlton Fields, incredibly smart, that has, you know, that sort of had the same experience as I did and said, we can't let this happen to our state any longer. We've got to show up and do something. And I think it's also reflected in this past legislative session. Um, we had so many nights that we were on the House floor until way past midnight. And that's because 
members of our party were filing amendment after amendment to bills to knowing that they weren't going to pass, but to point out the you know, implicit bias in bills or how it was going to affect our actual constituents and the voters of Florida and the and the citizens of Florida. And to see that happening is is really exciting. And then it gets picked up by the media, which helps inform the voters when they're thinking about who they're going to vote for in the next election. Tell me about a good day. I mean, you're uh, it's tough when you're in the minority to move substantive legislation. But tell me about a good day in elective office that keeps you going that, that keeps you fortified for the for the tough for the for the tough days i i always think about my district and the work that I'm able to do in my district. I spend a lot of time uh, talking to elementary school students and reading them Grace for President, um, which is a great book if you haven't read it. Um, I recommend it. It talks about how um, how people should run for office and, the, and it has some um, gender discrimination edges to it. And just it's really good and empowering book for children of all ages, I think, to read. And, um, and so I do a lot of that work. I uh, spend a lot of time with the girls at Girls, my local Girls, Inc., um, and really find a lot of inspiration from the, the kids in our community. And, um, and, and so when, when things are hard in Tallahassee, I always think back to the time that I've spent in the district with the people that I care about. And are you seeing that next generation engaging in politics? I mean, you, certainly the Stoneman Douglas kids are leading a national movement, yeah. uh, but is it translating across to other, to other school districts and to other kids across the state? For sure. Uh, when people think about Sarasota, Florida, they don't think about are the best you know that we have the best high school in the state they think about it as a winter community a good place to retire and we have a lot of retirees um but i am so proud of all of the students in sarasota and specifically the ones that have helped on my campaign I had so many high school students that would show up and make calls and knock on doors um, we had five or six legislative interns that were from Sarasota that were going to Florida State University um, that wanted to stay involved and th- I have several um, Republican legislative interns that just liked who I am and that I offer this um, this experience and so they've come and help work in our legislative office that's great that's great so um so what's next for you i mean you're still relatively new to all this but um do you like it is it is it what you signed up for and then what do you think is is next for you as you think about how to how to impact your community well, you're right. I'm fairly new at this, and I have a lot of passion for it. I really care about my community, about Florida, um, about making good policy. But my first goal is to flip more seats, is to is to really make sure that we have the kind of representation that we need. And I think about, I mean, it's great to be, you know, a 75 75 legislators that are Democrat, like that would be wonderful. But I think the best policy is made when it's 
you know, 59 Republicans and 61 Democrats, and people really have to work together. Because I, for instance, when I brought that amendment for the criminal background check, it was a fight on the Florida House floor. The Republicans were you know, trying to tear me down and tear the policy down. And then I go into the back where there's like a member's lounge in the back of the floor. So I go back there to catch my breath after the bringing the amendment. And several of my Republican colleagues come up to me and say, you know, that's not a bad idea. I, you know, I could support that kind of idea. But the legislature is so top down right now that that the Republicans really have to stay in line. And so when you empower them by electing more Democrats, I think we will end up with better policy on both sides of the aisle. I like that. I like your optimism. (laughs) Uh, And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Representative Good, thank you for joining us today. It's been so uh, wonderful talking with you. And uh, good luck with your efforts. You You were on the front lines, and I'm glad you jumped in. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.